Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Let's jump right into it. I don't have a ton of time. If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 11. I actually started this talk three weeks ago. We, taught, we titled it Walking with Jesus. And, and I want to pick back up kind of right where we left off and just add even a little bit more to some of the things we said uh, last time. The more I've thought about it, the more I feel like the Lord's shown me about this. And uh, Matthew chapter 11, I typically don't read out of the message translation, but years ago uh, I heard someone preach this from this passage and there was a phrase in this, within this passage that was a life-changing phrase for me. I, I want you to understand something. We're a church that believes the Bible. We're a church that believes that the Bible's not just a book that men wrote, but it's a, it's a book that God wrote. He just used men to do it. And if God said it, his words are life to those that hear it. And one word from God can change your life forever. I know that seems super simple, but one word from God can change your life forever. And that's kind of how I felt about this particular passage here. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 25. Again, I'm reading from the message translation. It says, abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. He said, thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. He said, the Father's given me all things to do and say this is a unique father-son operation coming out of a father and son intimacy and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does nor the father the way that the son does. And so he's describing this relationship that he has not as God Jesus, but as man Jesus. He came from heaven to earth. He existed on earth as a man. So everything that he's... Every part of the relationship that he's describing isn't just describing what he has, he's describing what you can have. He's describing this relationship where you know him intimately, he knows you intimately, and the knowledge that he has can be the knowledge that you have. That's why I said when he, when he departed, he sent the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit who knows all things, which is why it was better for Jesus to depart. He told the disciples, it's actually better for me to go because if I go, the Father will send the Spirit. He will send the Comforter. He will send the Spirit of truth so that you can have what we have, which is this unbelievable, amazing relationship where there's intimacy and you don't have to walk in, you don't have to live this life unaware of what's coming. That's, that was free stuff. That wasn't even in my notes. So he's describing this relationship. But I love what he says here. He says, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone who's willing to listen. So he's literally fixing to describe to you what this relationship could and should look like and how you get there. Verse 28, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away, and this is the phrase we've been looking at a lot or since we, last, last time we talked about this, get away with me. Turn to your neighbor and say, with me. Turn to your other neighbor and say, do you want to hook up with me? <laughs> that got awkward. Uh, don't do that anymore, especially if they're not your spouse. I think I just started something. Um, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, and this is the phrase that changed my life, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You know, when I heard this, I realized that a lot of my life was working for God and it felt very forced. And this opened my eyes to the idea that maybe walking with him 
wasn't supposed to be so forced, that maybe it was supposed to feel different. For those of us who are feelers, we get this. Those of us that are not particularly feelers, it takes us a while to get in touch with this, but there's, this, there's even a feeling that goes with walking with God, and it's unforced. I love that. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn how to live freely and lightly. I'll read Matthew 11. I'll read verses 28 and 30 in the NLT, which is a little bit more accurate, a word-for-word translation, just so you can kind of see a little bit of the difference. He said, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The question we're trying to answer in this is what does it look like to walk with Jesus? It's an abstract concept if you don't really think about it very much. And we talk about it. You can hear those words and say, okay, I'm going to walk with him. But what exactly does it look like to walk with him? First of all, you have to understand that the reason he wants you to walk, he tells you the goal. Why he wants you walking with him is because when you're with him, you'll have rest in your souls. You'll have... Third John 2, beloved, I desire above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. He wants your soul to prosper. He wants your soul to be at rest. Much of this, or this message actually came from an op, a, a situation in my personal life where I'm, I, was in, in, I was not feeling rest in my soul not too long ago. Just I felt pressure to do something. I felt pressure in some areas in my soul. I was on the couch processing this with my wife. The Lord gave me a vision about what it looked like to walk with him, not behind him, not beside him, not in front of him, which is where I felt like I was at the time. I was in front of him trying to do all these things, and he's back a couple steps going, look, that's great. I'm just not there. If you want to do with me, you're going to have to take a couple steps back, cut a few things off to the side. Yes, there are times when Jesus tells you to do less than you're doing. And, that, and, and, and so that's, that's where this came from, is this idea of, okay, we want to walk with him, because as long as we're walking with him, we will find rest in our souls. We won't have that tension on the inside. But interestingly enough, he, he, he's talking about this goal of finding rest in your souls, walking with him so you find rest in your souls. But look at, look at something here because it almost seems contradictory to what we're talking about, and it's very important that you understand this. He says, in the New Living part, it says, Come to me, all of you who are weary or tired and you're carrying heavy burdens, and I'm going to give you a rest. So you're tired, you're, you feel heavy, and it's time for a rest. He's going to give you a rest. But notice what the next sentence is. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke was this wooden piece that was laid across the neck of of two animals, and they were strapped to this yoke, and that yoke was to hold them together, and then the yoke was attached to a carriage or a plow to pull the carriage or to plow the ground. So this, this yoke was an instrument of work. So he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Do you feel heavy? Do you want to rest? And then in the words of my uncle, great, then put your work clothes on. Isn't that interesting that he's, he, you're like, oh, great, we're going to Hawaii. Me and Jesus, we're going to Hawaii. And he tells you to put your work clothes on. You, you have to understand that there are, 
there, there can be some lies that you've believed that where, okay, if I'm going I'm to start following Jesus, I've got all this pressure in my life, I've got all, this, I've got all these things going on in my world, I'm going to follow Jesus so I don't have to struggle, I don't have to strain, I don't have to, I don't have to work. Jesus, here's what God, God did in, the, in, in Genesis. God's creating the perfect world for Adam and Eve. The, God, the world he created them is the world he created for us too. We were supposed to be in that garden. But here's what he gave them in that garden. He gave them unlimited provision, a perfect relationship with him, and a J-O-B. Jesus wants you to have a J-O-B. All the single guys, single ladies, look at them. Say, get you a J-O-B, or don't call me. In God's perfect world, you have unlimited provision. You have access to everything that you need. A perfect relationship with him. Access to him anytime you want. And an assignment. He said, if you want to you, you, you find rest in your souls, are you heavy, you're burned out, you're t- you want to find rest, then put my yoke upon you and actually start working with me. And this weird thing happens. Working with me causes rest in your souls. You know, oftentimes why we don't feel rest in our souls, it's because we're working without him. Lots of work's happening. Lots of business is happening. Lots going on. He's just chilling. And it's like, hey, you're, you're supposed to be with me. It's, it, this yoke, was a, it wasn't for one animal. It was for two. His yoke isn't just for you. It's for you and him. So that you always know anything he's called you to do, he's with you. So when you're weak, he's strong. The other thing it tells you is if you think that you're going you're gonna to follow Jesus but not do anything, you're mistaken. There are, my job as a pastor is not to raise up believers. My job as a pastor is to raise up followers. Believers aren't always moving. Followers are always moving because Jesus is moving. Jesus said the kingdom of God is advancing forcefully and the violent take it by force. He also said in another scripture, he said the kingdom, when he's talking to someone, he says the kingdom of God is right in front of you. In other words, Jesus is the kingdom. So if Jesus says the kingdom and the kingdom is moving, Jesus is moving and it's not always easy. But the best thing for you to do is to yoke yourself with him if you want rest in your souls. Rest in your souls doesn't mean you won't have blisters on your hands, if you get the analogy. You can can have rest in your souls. In fact, if if you've got the job, if if you've got the right job for you, I guess I should say, or a good job, you know what? Sometimes you're working really hard, but you just feel really good. Anybody know what that feels like? Any guys who've got their own deer lease? It's just fantastic. Filling feeders, building blinds, and you feel amazing. <laughs> Walking with Jesus is like having a deer lease. You know? It is. There, there, there are things for you to do, and oftentimes the pressure that we feel in our souls is that God's moving. He's wanting us to do some things with him, and we, for whatever reason, one reason or the other, we're staying, we're staying back. We're not saying, you know, we're not... 
we're not working with him. We're not walking with him. Maybe there's just, a, we believe a lie that our Christian life was just supposed to be, I said this so many times in the first service, it got annoying, frolicking through the flowers. <laughs> we're going to talk about frolicking today. It's not necessarily the truth, but if you go into this thing believing a lie, believing that there's not actually work to do, there's not actually progress, there's not actually going to be any pressure, when the pressure comes, you'll misinterpret, you'll misinterpret what the pressure is, so you'll stop, Jesus is moving, then you've got, again, no rest in your soul. We'll talk more about that towards the end of this, this talk. Again, we talked about four places you can find yourself when you're walking with Jesus, or when, you're, when you should be walking with Jesus. Four places you can find yourself in relationship to him. First of all, obviously, you can actually walking with him. Him in you, you in him, walking with him, hidden in Christ. He says in Matthew 11, when you get to that place, you're not tired, you're not worn out, you're not burned out, you're living in this unforced rhythm of grace. You're moving, but it's not forced, and it's not, it doesn't feel heavy. Work's getting done, but it doesn't feel, in your soul, it doesn't feel heavy. That's what it feels like when you're walking with him. And again, not nearly, not nearly enough of our time is spent walking with him. You know what it feels like because it's like when you leave church at times, because I want you to understand, this isn't him dangling a carrot, this idea of, oh, so you're telling me that we can just live life and not have any pressure in our soul? I'm telling you it's possible because there's been times in your life where you've left a church service, you've left an amazing conversation with a friend over coffee or at lunch, you feel revived, and all of a sudden you, you leave that conversation, you leave that church service, you leave that small group, whatever, and you, in, the way you describe it is, I feel 100 pounds lighter. Something happens and you say, I feel 100 pounds lighter. The, pro, the, the issue is that's, those are not supposed to be moments. Those moments are glimpses as to what life is supposed to be like if we're walking with him. If we're walking with him. So it is possible. The second thing we talked about, and I just want to continue to talk about this some more today, was what it's like when you're walking behind him. You can be walking beside him. Uh, you can be in front of him. We're, we're going to talk about those the next couple of weeks. But I want to still continue to talking about when you're walking behind him. These are some of the things that we said uh, the last time we talked about this, is one of the things that gets us walking behind Jesus is living in guilt and shame. Living in guilt and shame. The Bible says when, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. He remembers it no more. That doesn't necessarily happen to us. So because he's remembering it no more, things that your sin used to have things that your sin would have disqualified you for, he's not remembering anymore because it's under the blood. So he's moving forward into your calling. He's moving forward into your destiny. But sometimes you're hung back in the old, Noah, hang on, Jesus. I don't, you, we can't do that. We can't go into that. I can't be a witness. I can't talk to God. I can't talk to my, the people in my workplace about God because you know my past. I can't talk to my family about God. You know they know me. We have all these things. And it's like we're saying to him, like, don't you remember don't you remember what I did and who I am? And he's like, yeah, no, I really know what you're talking about. I really don't. I actually don't because I cast your sin as far as east is from the west, and I remember it no more. We've got to get to the place that he's at. We don't, I think it's Bill, Bill Johnson that says it's either Bill or Chris. We don't have a right to have one thought in our head about us that he doesn't have in his head about us. So if he's not remembering our sin, then why are we? If he's moved on from it, then why, why aren't we moving on from it? 
That takes faith, I'll be honest with you, because the, the enemy, is he, he's constant. It's why he says he's the accuser of the brethren. You know what he's accusing you of? He's bringing back, what's the concept of double jeopardy? You, can't, you don't have to pay for the same crime twice. That's what he's trying to do. Reaccuse you, double jeopardy. Accuse you and say, no, no, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And you've got to learn to train yourself to say, no, that's who I was before Jesus. That's who I was before the blood of Jesus. If not, Jesus is moving on into your call, into your destiny, into new things, and we're hung back somewhere we should never be. Talked about that some. Next thing we talked about was uh, things that keep us walking behind him and not with him is unforgiveness and hurt. Unforgiveness and hurt. We made this statement. It's a, it's a strong statement, but it's true. Um, it's not your fault when things happen to you. There are things that have happened to some of you in this room. They're, they're terrible. An ex-husband, an ex-wife, current husband, current wife, things that have said, been said to you, things that have been done to you when you were a kid, and you had nothing to do with it. It wasn't your fault. You didn't ask for it, but something happened to you. For some of you in here, it's a tragedy happened in your life that brought so much hurt into your world and that you had nothing to do with. And, and, and the statement is, it's not your fault that things happen to you. It is your fault if you stay there. It's not your fault that you got hurt. It's not, that your, it's not your fault that something happened to you. It is your fault when you stay hurt and live in that place the rest of your life where something happened to you. I was reminded of this passage when I, I didn't share it last time, but I was reminded of this passage in, in, in Genesis chapter 11 where God tells Abram to go on this journey and he takes his father, Terah, with him. Terah had another son whose name was Haran who died young. And so Haran, his youngest, one of, or I don't know if it was his youngest or not, but another one of Terah's sons was named Haran. But Abram and his father, Terah and Lot, of course, they go on this journey and they come through the, the city named Haran. City has the same name as his son that was gone. And in verse 30, I think it's in verse 32, Genesis eleven thirty-two. 32, I didn't, we don't have it on the screen, but here's what, it, here's, what, here's what Terah did when he came through the city and he was in the place of his greatest disappointment. It says he stayed there and he died in Haran. Some of you need to hear this. Don't die in the place of your greatest hurt. Don't die in the place of your greatest disappointment. I don't care how ugly it is. I don't care how bad it was. God has something better for you. You have to keep moving forward. Uh, the Lord's reminded me of this again. I said this in the first service, so I'll say it again now. Some of you are believing the lie that because of what happened to you, you'll never get the life back that you once had. Some of you believe that lie. And here's what the Lord told me the first service, and he wants me to tell you again. You're right. You won't get the life you had before. You'll get better. You'll get better. You have to believe that he's a good God. You have to believe that God, good is who he is and good is what he wants for you. And if you'll have the courage to go into some of those places, to go, into some, to, go to that place of your greatest disappointment, to go into that place of your greatest hurt, that he will meet you there. He will heal you there. He will deliver you there. He will free you there so that you can keep on going where God's called you to go. Some of us are behind him because we've, we've, we've found ourselves stuck in the place of our greatest disappointment. 
Another one we talked about, it, it kind of goes with this. You'll get behind when you, you'll get behind Jesus because of fear and lack of courage. Jesus is wanting to take you into new places, new places of new theology where he's, he's got things hidden in Scripture uh, that maybe you would say, I used to go to a church that we don't believe this or I've never believed this before, but the Lord's saying, no, but I want you to believe the Bible, not what you believe. Sometimes we have more belief in our belief than we do the Bible. <laughs> and we've talked about that before. We have to make the decision, I believe the Bible. I don't believe what I believe. I believe the Bible. Scripture says, have faith in God. Not have faith in you or faith in your faith or faith in your belief. Have faith in God. These words are God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. You got you to believe the Word. And sometimes He wants to take us into new places of new theology, places of new purpose, places of new authority, places of new freedom. You know, there's places of freedom He wants to take you, but if you don't, let me think how to say this. If you don't get to the point, because here, here's, here's what the finished work of Jesus does. <clears throat> We're three-part beings. We're spirit, soul, and body. We are not a soul, and we are not a body. We are a spirit. This is who we are. We have a soul. We live in a body. When you were born again, who you were was made perfect. Who you were in spirit was made perfect, not improved. He didn't improve you. He perfected you. Big difference. So who you really are is perfect. Now, in your soul and in your body, there may be imperfections. In fact, I will guarantee you there are imperfections. There are imperfections in the way that you think. There are, there are imperfections in the way that you feel. There are imperfections in some of the decisions that you make. And because of that imperfection, if you don't understand that you are spirit and you have been made perfect, then you will be afraid of holding your soul out there the way you think, the way you, the, your emotions, the decisions that you've made. You'll be afraid to hold those things in the light. You'll be ashamed of what some of the decisions you've made, ashamed of some of the things that you're dealing, about, dealing with in your mind, and you won't hold those things in the light because you're identifying that what I feel and what I think is who I am, and it's not. What you think and what you feel is not who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. But there are times when he wants you to take some of these things that you've done, some of the decisions that you've made, some of the ways that you think, some of the things that you felt. He's wanting you to take those things and put them in the light so that you can go to a whole other level of freedom. I, I shared this in the first service. Do you know that the new, the new statistics are out about this? 85% of men in the church have an addiction to pornography. 85% of men in the church have an issue with pornography. 50% of women in the church have an issue of, with pornography. We've got, this, we've got this baggage. We've got this bondage. We've got this secret in the far darkest place of the back closet of our heart and the closet of our mind because we think something's, we've believed the lie that it's actually not okay. It's not okay to not be okay. And we won't take this thing out and put it in the light and say, you know what? This is not who I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but this is holding me back. This, this secret sin, this lifestyle that I'm living, I'm, I'm keeping it hidden because I've never actually believed it was, not, it was okay to not be okay. Guess what? It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay not okay. 
and Jesus is moving forward and he wants us to go with him. But you know why some of us aren't going with him into this new place of freedom? Because there's this, there's this chain, this shackle around our ankles with this hidden sin that we've never thought we could say anything about. I mean, fear just grips you. I'm just telling you, if you have an addiction to pornography, you know what I'm talking about. If, you have a, uh, if, you're having, if you're in the middle of an affair, you know what I'm talking about. You're in turmoil on the inside and the thought of telling someone else makes it worse. Your emotions are going crazy. You want to be free, but you're more afraid of what might happen. And you just choose to live with the current level of bondage. Jesus, grace, is saying, I want to take you to somewhere new. We got to deal with this. It's time to, it's time, it's time to take this darkness and put it in the light so I can heal it, so that I can take it away. But if you're going to keep it in the closet, I can't do anything with it. I can't shine my light upon it. Not guilt, not shame, not condemnation. Healing. I feel like somebody sucked the air out of the room. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm basically out of time, but I, I want to go to one more place because we, we these are some of the things that keep us behind him. How, Let's talk about at least one thing that gets us back caught up with him. What, something that pulls us forward, pulls us back into that place called with him. One of the things that pulls us back into him is the promises in the word. The promises of God are designed when we want to fall back behind. It's the promises of God that are designed to pull us back up with him. Numbers chapter 13, a lot of you know this story. Uh, I'll read it here starting in verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to you and the children of Israel. For each tribe of, of their fathers you shall send a man, every, every one a leader among them. So he says, I'm, I want you to send some men to spy out the land of Canaan. And in case you're confused as to which land of Canaan I'm talking about, it's the land I'm going to give you. It's the land that's yours. God is not man that he can lie. If he says it's yours, guess what? It's yours. This is now a promise. This was now a promise to them. It wasn't somebody else's land anymore. It's land he was giving them. They, the children of Israel, Moses and the children of Israel, now had, had, right, had a right to believe that that land was theirs. You ever heard the scripture, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good? He didn't send spies. He sent, he sent the spies to taste and see. In fact, Moses even knew this because he said, hey, he tells them, hey, I want y'all to go. In fact, while you come back, if you don't mind, snag a few fruits off the trees and bring them back so that we can taste it. Get a taste of what's going to be ours. Go see it and bring back a taste. But they come back, and as you know, the story goes, says, then they told him, they said, we went to the land where you sent us, and truly it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell there, in other words, you know what, you're right, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's, it's just as good, in fact, even better than you told us it was going to be. But you must not have known this, so we're going to give you a little, a little help here, Lord, because clearly you did not see this. But there's actually, there's people there, and, uh, and they're strong. It says their cities are fortified, and they are very the cities are very large. Moreover, we saw descendants of Anak, which were giants. He said the Amalekites dwelled in the south, the Hittites Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and by along the bank. So there's all these ites everywhere. 
So the Lord sends them into this land to taste and see, and all they see are the ites. And so it's like they come back and like, look, you know, it was good. It, it's right. It's, it flows with milk and honey, and it's got some, some delicious fruit. But clearly you didn't know that there were giants there, or you wouldn't have said that's our land. Because the way it's supposed to work, Lord, is if you, if you give us a promise, it's supposed to be easy. Clearly, Lord, if it's you and it's the promise of yours, we're supposed to just stroll right in and frolic in the flowers. You've got to stop believing that lie. You have to understand that there are times that God will send you in the place. And guess what? He knows there's heights there. He knows, there, he knows he's actually God, and he knows. And in fact, a lot of times, he'll do the same thing for us. Most of the time, he'll do the same thing for us that he did to them. He said, hey, I want you to go to this land, hint, hint, I'm giving you. Guess what? I get to decide who goes where and who has what land. Hang on to this promise. You might see giants. You might see strong cities. But neither the giants or the cities are bigger than my promise. And that's why he gives us promises. Because guess what? When you're going through life, you run into ites. Sometimes you feel like your husband's an ite. Your family's an ite. Your job's an ite. The, the doctor's report's an ite. Things are not going the way your kids, they're really big ites. There's all these ites. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait, Lord, I, but I, I, th I thought you gave me some promises. He did. Now, I, I didn't scare him away. He gave you the promises so you'll deal with the ites. <laughs> One of the most famous stories in the Bible, David and Goliath. What was the difference in David and the other men? The other men saw giants. In, the other men saw giants. David just saw a giant in the way. And it didn't, didn't even think twice. like, wait, why are we... Why are we doing this? Did y'all see my slingshot skills? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> Numbers 1330. Caleb, there's actually of the 12 spies, 10 came back with that report. Two came back. Believing the promise. Holding on to the promise. He said, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. He had to get their attention. He said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we're well able to overcome it. In other words, he saw his promise bigger than his giant. And you know what's interesting? I didn't, I, it wasn't until last night I was reading this. I've read this wrong my whole life. I thought when they originally came back there with the report, they talked about, oh, yeah, there's giants there. In fact, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. But if you go back and read it, they said, no, the people are big. There's all these ites. There's strong cities. Then Caleb interrupts, quiets everybody and says, wait a minute. No, we're, we're this, we need to go take possession. We're completely able to do this. And then it goes on in the next few verses and says, so the people, the, the 10 that came back with the bad report, it said they began to lie. They began to lie. And then they said, actually, they were, they were so big. You ever had somebody do this when you tell them, they tell you a story? And you're like, oh, cool. And you don't get the response. It's like they didn't get the response. And they're like, and so they like beef up the story a little bit. They're like, no, like seriously. Like, I, I know I said that. 
I know I said it was that spider was like this big, but it was a foot long. I'm not, you think I'm lying right now. It was a foot. The spider was three foot wide. And they just keep exaggerating until you believe the lie. That's what they were doing. They're like, no, like, we were, no, Caleb's not, no, we can't go because we were like, we were like small rodents. No, it was really, we were more like, no, we were like grasshoppers. He's like, oh, we're like grasshoppers then. Let's don't go. Did you know that's what the enemy wants to do to you? He wants to keep, he wants to, if you, he'll tell you your problem. And if it doesn't affect you, he'll go, well, I, I know I said it was this bad. It's actually worse than that. And he'll exaggerate the lie. And he'll exaggerate the lie. And he'll exaggerate the lie. All in an attempt to get you to stop believing the promise. And he'll exaggerate the lie until you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and raise up the promise bigger than the lie. Ten people allowed the lie to get bigger than the promise. Participated in the lie over the promise. Two people. Two people said, no, 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 no. I'm holding on to the promise. The promise caused two people to keep moving. The, believing the lie caused 10 to stop, and it was those two and their families only that got to possess the land. Sometimes there, you will find yourself in a situation where everything on the outside will look like a night. It will look like a really big problem, and you'll have one thing and one thing only to hold on to, and it's the promises of God, and I'm here to tell you, they're enough. They're enough. By, your stri- by his stripes we were healed is enough for any, any diagnosis. I know sometimes there's cancer or HIV or, or some of these, they, they, they feel like ites. But we have to say it's not a bigger, that, that ite's not big enough. It's not bigger than the promise. It's not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. That is actually why we talked about this last week or three weeks ago when I started this. That is why we take communion every single Sunday. It's really, I know we say it's not a tradition, but actually it is a tradition. We want it to be a tradition that we keep the chief cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. So every Sunday we want to remind ourselves that we're not building on our performance. We're building on the chief cornerstone. We're building on the fact that he had stripes on his back so that we wouldn't have to have sickness. We're building on the fact that because of his blood, we don't have to be perfect. We received his perfection because of what he did. We are building on that cornerstone. That is, that, is, that is something we do to keep the promise bigger than the problem. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. And don't, don't be confused. This, is one of, this happened to us in this whole building process. A lot of you uh, kind of know some of the story behind the building program. First several years of our church, it was really incredible. It seemed like everything just worked. We didn't have any problems. Uh, the church was growing. Financially, we were strong. All this amazing stuff. I'd go to pastor's conferences and we'd sit in meetings and they'd hear that I'd planted a church. And you'd, that when you tell them that, they'd give you this look like you just told them you had cancer or something. Like, oh, you planted a church, huh? Oh, wow. How's it going? And I would just kind of look back at them like, wow, it's actually going pretty good. It's, it's, it's actually going really good, to be quite honest with you. One, two, three, four years in, five years in, everything's, well, four years in, everything's going great. Let's start a building program. This is going to be easy. I mean, after all, that's what serving God is, is everything's easy. And then we hit some ites. Then some more ites. And then some huge ites. 
and we, we started hitting these problems. And, and, and I'll tell you, cause, and I want you to understand this because you'll do the same thing if you're not careful. When you start hitting these problems, here's what you'll do. The, it's, it's, it's unfortunate this is, that we believe this, but most of us do. When we hit a problem, we go, Lord, where did we miss it? Where did we miss it? What have I done? Where did I let the enemy in? Because we all know that following Jesus, there's supposed to be no problems and no giants and no ites and no pressure. But we hit this and it's like we had to remind ourselves of the promise that God had called us to leave a mark in this area. God had promised us a building. He had promised us some, he had promised us some things. It's not always easy, but you got to cling to the promise. what, you know, we've got, we still have the land on the uh, north of 349. We've purchased a whole nother city block. The plans are completed. The loan got approved. Final loan process got approved. The city approved the whole thing. It's kind of cool when the city manager comes up and he says, hey, we're going to make this a lot easier for you. I hate what happened to you last time. And so we're two to three weeks from starting to tear down buildings and building the pad and moving some dirt. We're, we're actually going to have a building now. <laughs> but I can promise you, it didn't come with no lights. It didn't come with no problems. And neither is your destiny. Your assignment, the call of God on your life. I'm not saying, neither is walking with Jesus in your own personal life. I'm not saying there won't be any pressure. But I will say there are promises that will pull you forward to keep you with him. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.